Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. Hope everybody is doing well. And we continue with the uh, penultimate uh, live interview of mine at WASD. And this time, my interview was with none other than Tim Scheinman. Now, Tim Schein is probably best known for Riley and Rochelle. He is a musician, so he's written adventure games about uh well about music and about detectives he's written some and he's made some very very good detective games as well which we have reviewed on the podcast uh going back a couple of years uh so his latest game that he released was riley and rochelle a detective visual novel game about two musicians and um we spoke about that and his uh, new game a little bit that he's working on himself he showed me as well and uh, all things uh, adventure games and narrative as well at WASD. Now, this again, there is uh, background noise. We were in a cafe outside of the conference. So hopefully, apart from one time when the waiter was uh, making coffee, every other time it should be okay. There's not as much background noise as uh, as was the case with other interviews. Um, so, uh, well, without further ado, here is my interview with Tim Scheinman. Please enjoy. Okay, so I am delighted to be joined by Tim Scheinman. We are in a coffee shop outside of the event, so it's a lot quieter. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm very well, thank it's you. It's the first time we're meeting in person. Well, we've known each other a bit over COVID. We well, used to... <laughs> I seem to recall a time we were very suspicious of each other for a long time. Dick is very sus, wasn't yeah, it? extremely sus. Dick, you learned that I'm not a good liar, so if I say that I like the look of your game... <laughs> you not believe me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we want a group of people who played Among Us during the whole, when COVID was at its height. Mm-hmm. So, um, But uh, now we're both in London and you were showing me a demo of your game. So before maybe you wanted to introduce yourself very quickly, yeah. um, just a sec, because you're involved in music. Cause you're a musician, I take well, it as well? I'm or? a musician. I mean, I, I did music for a long time and then I kind of, like when I moved into games, a lot of my earlier work um, was often with like quite bespoke soundtracks. So the first game that I sort of made that people played was called Family, which was about um, working out the members of an indie rock scene from the 1980s with lots of people based on like The Smiths and Tears and Fears. And I did that by recording my friends and then making all the music and putting their voices to it. So that was something that I did that for kind of country music with rivals. And then in October, I released a game called Riley Michelle, which considered the uh, eternal question, what would happen if Celine Dion and Elliot Smith um, fell in love? And um, it, it uh, sold uh, a few copies, mostly to my parents. But, um, <laughs> it, but yeah, No, I've, I've heard, I think that was, I saw people reviewing it and talking about it. So it definitely sort of... I think you must be thinking of somebody else. Have you played The Case of the Golden Idol? It's very yes, popular. Yes, Well, I have played a demo of it. <laughs> it's very popular. But Riley and Rochelle, yeah, I have seen no, it mentioned so, as well. It's, it's not so, quite up there, it's so but it's... It's without a trace, as all good visual novels will eventually do. No, it's oh. a curse of scale. I was going yeah. for a bigger version of the thing I've done already. And, you know, mm. even... Even Sam Barlow didn't quite pull that one off, you know, 7,000 Steam reviews for her story and 
800 for immortality. So all I'll say is really? bigger does not always mean... Really? I could that that is very successful. I don't know how successful the games yeah, are, but... Um, I'm afraid to say there are certain games, particularly highly authored games, that do not scale well and do usually their best business on the first iteration. And then after that, you're chasing circles. And that's what I had with uh, Riley and Michelle. So it was... It was a fun game, it put a cap on all the kind of visual novel detective-y stuff they've done and now I'm doing different stuff to that. So I've got this um, kind of uh, systems-driven card game and then I've also got this kind of builder game called The Deadly Path as well, which is about building a dungeon, um, which is in no way similar to Dungeon Keeper. <laughs> Other than that, yeah. Uh, so that's what, that's what I'm up to, so yeah, just um, sort of uh, creatively uh, sort of moving on at the moment and doing lots of different things. So you're 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 making a variety of different I'm games now too, which things, absolutely is a little bit more systems driven, a little bit less authored. So in games we call that scope light. So scope means assets that you have to make which can't be reused. So it's like a particular piece of dialogue, a particular character animation. It can only really be used for one thing. You know. And is that more work? It can be because you're drawing lots of variations rather than using the same thing over and over again. So, for instance, if you look, if you think about immortality, which you mentioned, a film clip, you know, is good for what it is, which is a film clip. It's not like a building in a city mm. game where you can place it anywhere in any situation and it does things based upon its system. So, in yeah, scope is when you're doing stuff which requires lots of bespoke asset making, and that takes time and is expensive. And also, arguably, it isn't what games are best at, which is more like the history of games prior to computer simulation. It's more about using generic elements, you know, pieces, cards, these mm. sorts of things, you know, footballs, you know, mm. stuff which can be moved in, used in, in generic, um, you know, you can use highly contextually, but they're generic elements. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the sort of thing I'm trying to sort of move towards, basically making my games a little cheaper. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, well, better luck with, with that. Uh, but you showed me this very interesting game, which you said that the title is still a work in progress? Yeah, it's still a work in progress, but basically it's a strategic deck builder with, with point and click, uh, point and click <laughs> interface, which is kind of an isometric point and click interface in it. You have to uh, play cards against people and build your deck whilst also trying to kill uh, cultists and exploring. Um, the map, and so the idea is that it's going to be like a roguelike, roguelike sort of thing. So you'll get a random selection of cultists at the start of each run, and you'll try again and fail and fail better and stuff like that. So you know that would be a um, that would be a trip. Um, is there any reason why we're killing the cultists? Is it because they're cultists? Well, I guess yeah, I wanted originally it was called the Gentle Art of Poisoning, and I wanted it to be that you were kind of in a sort of hot fuzz-esque evil village, you know, and they right. had to go around, you know, poisoning and pitchforking and drowning people in dunk tanks and stuff like that, you know, and then I just kind of like, I just felt it was a little bit too niche, to be honest, like I'm sure it sounds delightful, but it's also difficult to, it's always difficult to justify murdering pensions. Yeah. In this day and age, you know, they're just, they're evil because of the triple lock pensions and all of that, but not really evil, you know? So I figured I needed some more kind of genuinely evil Evil people who are... The player could dispatch without fear or favor. <laughs> so we won't feel bad about it. Yeah, I mean, not everyone feels bad about killing pensioners, but I don't want to see them in my market, you know? Yeah, yeah, poor grandma. 
Um, but grandma. now, yeah. what, what, what you mentioned with this game is that it's it, like Kitman if were a board game. So yeah. would, would you be able to talk more yeah, about sure. that? So I mean, like the idea of like board game mechanics, I think, are having a bit of a moment in games. Mm. In a weird way, it's kind of like. So I think like um, and games are very good at simulating stuff or at least computers are very good at simulating stuff but arguably actually what games are better at is abstracting stuff um, I'm so sorry what was your question you yeah so it's Hitman oh right okay uh, so games game. are good at simulating stuff but uh, sorry computers are good at simulating stuff games are better at abstracting stuff right and so board game rules are actually really good in computer games because they're simple and you know, clarifiable and very transparent. And you see, obviously, a lot of card games are like really popular right now. But even if you like pulled it out to something like Cultist Simulator, you could say, well, that's got this very board gamey sort of feel. Not only has it got cards, you know, acting in card-like ways, but also it, it's extremely transparent about its outcomes. It doesn't hide that behind the veneer of physics simulation or something like that. And so. With, I was thinking, like, if Hitman was a board game, what would it do? Well, you'd take turns to go to places to set traps to distract people to go after that, and that kind of, I think, it's quite nice. It, it does require something more than that, which is where the card game parlance comes in, which is the biggest part of it, which is you're playing cards against everyone all the time, and that itself is obviously a complete abstraction of, you know, running people mm. over with, with uh, model T's and you know, cutting heads <laughs> off and stuff like that, dropping bells on them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I think the board game mechanics are actually like super rewarding in games and they kind of let games be games and that's sort of where I'm going from. Also as an indie developer it's much cheaper because running simulations requires a vast amount of back-end programming whilst making a board game is not too bad, you know. Mm. So, you know, but it's all a journey, like, and I'm just trying to figure it out as I go. I think that's what we're all doing. <laughs> Falling down the stairs, yeah. As you say, fail better. We're <laughs> not saying you're failing. I'm just saying that for all of us, or a lot of us, I think we're trying to figure things out. Yeah. Try absolutely. to make a success of no, I mean, things. But I think, it, yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting process, but I think, like, stepping away from, like, purely narrative stuff has been interesting because looking back at it, you're kind of like... It is a bit like the salmon swimming up river. You know, making all this authored content that people are going to see once and then it's gone is kind of hard as a developer. You know, you've really got to commit to like, oh, I guess players won't see that again until they maybe do another run. And, and, and do you feel that nowadays is it more difficult because there's so many games out there now just on Steam, like over a thousand a week, I'm sure. Is it more difficult to get noticed or for? To keep people's attention. Well, I only started it three years ago, so I wouldn't okay. not in the best position to judge it. I mean, some people, you know, some people will say, "Oh, the days of Apple Arcade and this and that." And the other, and there's always some sort of gold rush. But I mean, the simple fact of the matter, actually, is that if you're talking to successful people, is that's a self. It's not a self-selecting demographic, but it's a self-kind of winnowing demographic. Everyone in games who's been properly successful may well have come up in their own particular gold rush because that's how they got successful. It's like most problem gamblers start with a lucky streak, you know? So, and so it's tempting for any successful developer to say, oh, it's not like it was when I, mm. when I uh, think. But I mean, I'm personally of the feeling that like, games is an extremely fertile place that is still just hard enough to make mm. that you can get noticed. And I think, 
It seems like every other week there's a breakout hit where it's being made with a couple of pieces of string in a dream. Like, I mean, I think the work of Sock Pop and like Stacklands and stuff, isn't mm. it? I mean, they got an IGF nomination. Golden wow. Idol, that was made as two yeah. guys, you know, Andreas, De and they just picked up Best Designer IGF. There's, there's a yeah, lot of vampire survivors. I mean, yes, it was made by veterans, but it's cheap. Again, you know, you know. It's, it's funny because the guys from the case of the Golden Idol contacted me last year. Yeah. I could try out their demo and... It was funny because they said that we're not sure, we're making this game, we think it's cool, but we're not sure if people will be interested yeah. in it. And it turns out a lot of people are interested. Well, they are. I, mean, so I, think, I think it's interesting with that because there's obviously there's some blue ocean. Because, like, you know, I was making stuff which was informed by Obradim, but let's be serious, there's no serious commercial game that was moving in on that territory. I don't know if that is what we call a stable market because historically puzzle games and visual novel stuff and that sort of thing, non-replayable games, don't have a market. But it seems mm. like three or four break out every year. So like Hobbs Barrow, Road Warden mm. and Golden Idol broke out last year, Teenage Exo Coldness, but I think that's a big game. But like cheap games, three or four each year. You just don't want to be the other person. Yeah. I have been. So, you know, I can say that I wouldn't I wouldn't bet the farm right. there being a lasting market for that stuff. I just think they they made a really good game at the right time and they were the ones who succeeded, you mm. know, and it's and like, again, you know, it's it's and also Lucas was, was involved in bigging up. But I think they, they made the best game of you know, and they had lots of space to move into. It's you know. So like I think I think it is still actually really easy if you can to make a game and to have it noticed compared to music or film which is far too expensive and far too hard to get in the gatekeepers but making a game is hard and mm. you know this right like you talk to creators all the time they're in hell right it's, I, I said before it's a miracle that any game gets made <laughs> game. I mean you've probably been watching the Psychonauts documentary and stuff uh, right? I, I need to start watching that I haven't yeah. heard what I've well, heard about it prepare for a descent into, into hell you know it's, and but what someone told me is that uh, Tim Schafer doesn't come across like really well. He was happy with it just to show like him fully. I haven't seen it, but that's what someone said that it was interesting. Now I'm sure he was very very stressed, very very busy. But uh, I don't imagine Tim Schafer's got any interest in cutting any part of anybody's. Yeah. Film. Like at the end of the Which, day, the guy's legacy is pretty secure. You know. Yeah, he doesn't need to do anything. And yeah, I mean, Double stopped innovating years ago. That's, what, like, that's the other thing. Like. They've, they've done their thing, you know. Yeah, they have. Like, but, uh, but yeah, no. Um, and then in in your game now that we just mentioned, yeah. uh, I'll read like the graphics in it. Thank you. As well, and the music, which... Uh, well, we've had a few artists, but I tend to work with artists from outside of games initially. I worked with an unbelievably talented comic artist. Um, is, is this intentional, or is this just well, how it... I mean, I think, you know... When you're Ruth looking around for a look of a game, if you don't actually know, if there's not a clear and obvious forebear or whatever the word is, your predecessor, then you do have to kind of root around for a little bit. I mean, the thing is, like, I wanted that I played Beacon Pines, and that was the first time that I thought, okay, so we can have an isometric or quasi-isometric mm. world. Played a demo that, it's really good. Because yes. I'll be honest with you, I find the 
LucasArts flat on thing quite unattractive, but also quite visually cluttered. Like it's quite hard mm. to discern stuff because you can't use depth, and so you end up with what you call pixel hunting situations. Which I hate. <laughs> right, but like I didn't want to do that because I thought it's going to ground it too much in, in Sierra and LucasArts, so we went with an isometric thing, and that required, you know, a good layout artist, and that came and she worked on the Paranormal Park and Dead End. And Alex is a comic book artist. I think if you actually want comic book stuff done, you have to use a legit comic book artist because they pump stuff out, like and their rate per page will work. Um, games artists, it's just about talent. You just you've got to go with talented people. Like the fact that yeah. I'm not working with like all women and all professional comic book artists or animators is not. You know, it's coincidental, but they're all proper pros, you know. Mm. But I think I think games production is a little slow for my taste and um, games artists are maybe used to a slightly slower tempo than some mm. of these industries and it's so faster I, I, pace, I work fast. Yeah. I like I like people who can work at my tempo. It's like whiplash, isn't it? You know, yeah, 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 yeah. But like they're a very talented bunch. We've had a few because um, they're all freelancers, so they kind of pop in and pop out. But it's it's looked good, you know. Um, good. And, yeah, and do you have any um, any type of release date or year? Oh, no, no, no. This no. is publishing. No, this is going to publishers now. So like this needs investment. and It's going to die. All those environments. You saw four. Well, you didn't even see four, but it was four. If if I did forty, mm. that's a chunk of that's a chunk of moolah. So no, it needs some investment, and also like I self-published my last game, and whilst I acknowledge that self-publishing is better <laughs> financially, quite significantly better at times, I don't necessarily want to do it with this one. I think this one's sure. a little bit arty, and I have some slightly more commercial stuff that I think I'd feel more confident putting into early access, but this one... It's on the borderline. I'm not sure I'd put it into early access and just release. So it does, I do think it needs a bit of publisher money. So if you're listening. Yes, any publisher that's listening, <laughs> um, give it a shot. Which is, you know, something we'll be doing. But anyway, well, yep, that's, uh, hope, that's hopefully me. Hopefully at the WSD conference you can meet some publishers. Absolutely, can, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and then finally, you mentioned Beacon Pines. Have you been able to play any other games? Or yeah, you're busy? I know I've played tons of games. Oh, like, that's great. I was playing a game called Slipway today, which is a, like, a 4X, but it's like you do it in a couple of hours, basically. You collect planets up to the resources. Just load the card game stuff, like Slay the Spire, Stacklands, which is obviously more of a survival game, Griftlands a lot, been chatting a lot to Kevin Forbes, who is the designer of that, and um, Don't Starve. Um, okay. And then, like, other stuff, I'd have to pop up my Steam library. I'm going to play against, um, against the Storm, which is Hooded Horse's IGF nominee, which is like... I haven't heard of that. And then, other than that, just like a lot of one-player board game stuff. Like, I've been playing it, but I've been watching it a lot, like Robinson Crusoe and stuff like that. Because I always think, like, one-player board game is really interesting because it's like the computer, the, the game is the computer, you know, so it plays against you and stuff like that. So, I mean, mm. yeah, there's, there's a ton more stuff, but I can't remember it. Um, yeah, so just lo loads of, loads of systems-driven stuff. Um, and then, kind of, not so much... Um, Sort of visual novel stuff, just don't find just myself sort of able to play it so much anymore. But yeah, no, it's just lots, lots of things. Perfect. Uh, uh, well, thank you. Thank Tim. you. Thank uh, you the very, very best of luck. I hope you find a publisher for the game. It's looking really interesting. And I'm sure we'll be chatting later. Yeah, absolutely. So that was my interview with Tim Scheinman. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, so, um, 
thank you as well to Tim for agreeing to uh, speak to me and for showing me around London a bit uh, as well. So uh, hopefully we can meet up again very, very soon. And, uh, and yeah, so that is it for this episode, for this interview. And just one more live interview left. Uh, that will be next week, next Saturday for Patreon, Monday for everybody else, with, uh, with Maddie, who used to be at a Spooky Doorway, and she will tell us all about her experience working for them. Uh, yeah, spoiler, really rather good. Uh, developers of the Dark Side Detective. Uh, so, uh, until then, uh, please take it easy, and uh, thank you for listening as always. Take care, goodbye. <laughs> If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are an adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you